Good day and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Adaptive Biotechnologies Third Quarter Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Karina Calcedilia. Thank you. Please go ahead. Thank you, Evangeline, and good afternoon, everyone. I would like to welcome you to Adaptive Biotechnology's third quarter 2021 earnings conference call. Earlier today, we issued a press release reporting adaptive financial results for the third quarter of 2021. The press release is available at www.adaptivebiotech.com. We are conducting a live webcast of this call and will be referencing a slide presentation that has been posted to the investor section in our corporate website. During the call, management will make projections and other forward-looking statements within the meaning of federal security laws regarding future events and the future financial performance of the company. These statements reflect management current perspective of the business as of today. Actual results may differ materially from today's forward-looking statements depending on a number of factors which are set forth in our public filings with the SEC and listed in this presentation. In addition, non-GAAP financial measures will be discussed during the call and a reconciliation from non-GAAP to GAAP metrics can be found in our earnings release. Joining the call today are Chad Robbins, our CEO and co-founder, and Chad Cohen, our Chief Financial Officer. In addition, Arlen Robbins, Adaptive Chief Scientific Officer and Compounder, and Nitin Suit, Chief Commercial Officer, will be available for Q&A. With that, I'll turn the call over to Chad Robbins. Chad? Thanks, Karina. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us on our third quarter 2021 earnings call. We had another quarter of strong performance with key progress across our business areas paving the way for our immune medicine platform to transform disease diagnosis and drug discovery. Thank you to all of our employees for their dedication and commitment to our company and the patients we serve. This quarter, we had the pleasure of opening our new corporate headquarters and laboratory facility in Seattle. This building represents a new chapter for Adaptive to scale our business as we continue to grow. From sample processing, data analysis, this is truly an end-to-end facility designed to be a place that inspires our workforce to deliver innovative solutions for our patients and our communities. Moving to the slides. Starting on slide three, our third quarter results demonstrate continued progress. Revenue in the quarter was $39.5 million, representing significant growth of 50% versus prior year. Increasing the overall value of our Clonoseq brand through both Clinical adoption and pharma-MRD collaborations remains a key focus. We recently launched an enhanced version of the Clonoseq assay for CLL patients, which gives patients IGHB mutation status in the same test where we measure the trackable MRD sequence. This is an important step as Clonoseq will become an even more valuable diagnostic for hematologists to use at the start of patient workups. In addition, our pharma partners continue to benefit from using our MRD assay as an endpoint in clinical trials, and this quarter recognized another regulatory milestone. Our COVID efforts continue to gain traction on multiple fronts. We are delighted to report that we received a positive assessment from Moldex recommending coverage for T-Detect COVID 
for immunocompromised patients. This is a further validation that T-cell testing fills an important gap in understanding the immune response to the virus and is a key reimbursement milestone for the T-Detect franchise. Of note, a large subset of the immunocompromised population is the same blood cancer patients we target with our clonacy commercial team. In addition, there is an increasing number of research collaborators and vaccine manufacturers interested in using immunity TMAP COVID to assess whether T-cells may provide a correlate of protection. These data would answer key questions in understanding immunity of the virus. Beyond COVID, our T-Detect franchise continues to progress. We completed our ImmuneSense line study, which showed our T-cell-based diagnostic to be nearly two times more sensitive than standard two-tier testing in identifying individuals with early disease. This is the second technical proof of concept that our T-cell-based testing has advantages over serology in this diagnosis of infectious diseases. We continue to advance T-detect and autoimmune indications. For IBD, we already have a signal in ileal Crohn's and have approximately 5,000 IBD samples in-house, of which over 80% have been sequenced and the remainder are in process. We expect to have the totality of the data completed by year-end and we'll share steps of development at that time. We have also identified a signal in multiple sclerosis and have additional samples in-house, which are currently under analysis. Autoimmune disease diagnosis is a key focus area for adaptive. We are prioritizing our development efforts around our business units. In our drug discovery efforts, our Genentech collaboration is progressing well. On the shared product, we are assessing, assessing efficacy and safety data with Genentech to enable a decision by year-end to move our lead product into early development. For the private product, we are on track to complete our proof of concept in 60 cancer patients by the end of this year. In addition, it was great to see Vaxabody announce the initiation of a Phase 1-2 study for the two SARS-CoV-2 vaccine candidates under development, one of which includes T-cell-based components identified by our immune medicine platform. This is the first time that our platform is being used to inform the construct of a novel vaccine, and we're encouraged by this important advancement. In summary, we're executing towards our 2021 goals and continue to generate data to enable multiple opportunities stemming from our platform. I'll now provide more detail on some of these highlights, and then I'll pass it over to Chad Cohn, who will review the financials. Starting with Clonoseq on slide four. On the left side, Clonoseq clinical volumes of 5,928 tests in the quarter grew 47% versus prior year and 8% versus the prior quarter. During the quarter, orders were placed by over 1,000 unique healthcare providers spanning 260 accounts for, for approximately 3,800 patients tested, and Clonoseq has now been used to test more than 20,000 unique patients. Tests delivered grew quarter over quarter in each indication. We increased the number of ordering physicians and the number of accounts, including within the community setting. So far into the fourth quarter, we have seen our daily order volumes increase and expect to achieve sequential growth. The recent launch of IGHV was an important milestone for Clonoseq, which we expect to influence utilization for CLL patients. IGHV testing is recommended in clinical practice guidelines because it is shown to be prognostic in CLL. We do believe this added feature will help boost CLL orders 
and have already observed a 20% increase in CLL orders in the four weeks since launch. Although off a small base, we believe this is a great indicator at this very early point in the launch. We continue to drive expansion of payer coverage policies, reaching over 240 million covered lives in ALL and multimyeloma and over 150 million in CLL. Of note, CLL covered lives increased 15% this quarter, and we had an important payer addition with Centene, who now considers Clonaseq as medically necessary for their patients with ALL, multimyeloma, and CLL. On the right side of the slide, you can see our MRD Pharma partnerships continue to drive the value for the Clonaseq brand. In addition to sequencing revenues, we have over $330 million in future regulatory milestones. This This portfolio of eligible milestones continues to grow and materialize over time. And this quarter, we recognize an additional $1.5 million, which brings the total to $10 million year-to-date. Turning to T-Detect on slide five, the, the interest in T-Detect COVID orders, despite vaccine rollout, continued over the quarter, mostly related to concerns with the Delta variant. Importantly, given the lack of effective tests to assess the immune response to COVID-19 effect, infection in certain groups of individuals, including immunocompromised patients, Moldex has allowed for reimbursement of T-Detect COVID at $770 per test. There are approximately 1 million oncology-related immune-compromised patients in the United States. Notably, we are planning to leverage our clonaseq sales channel and increase our promotional efforts to this population. This is an exciting advancement for TGTEC, as this is the first reimbursement that potentially paves the way to accelerate market access for future indications. For Tech Line, our ImmuneSense Line study was completed and data was presented at the ID week in October. The study validated that Tech Line in patients tested within 30 days of symptom onset is nearly twice as sensitive versus standard two-tiered serology testing in detecting Lyme disease. Given the focus of these data in the acute setting, we've decided to make Tech Line available closer to the start of the Lyme season while focusing our near-term efforts on operationalizing the T-Detect COVID reimbursement launch. I also want to emphasize the key interplay between our clinical diagnostic and pharma research business. Just as the overall value of our Clonaseq brand is driven by a combination of clinical test volumes and the strength of our MRD pharma portfolio, the same applies with T-Detect. The right side of the slide shows a variety of ways in which our pharma and research partners are using TMAP COVID to assess T cell response to vaccine and potential correlates of protection. We believe that the role of T cells will continue to gain traction as COVID becomes endemic and questions about immunity remain unanswered. We intend to be the go-to platform for the acute an accurate quantification of T-cell response for our pharma partners and other research collaborators. Lastly, on slide six, our drug discovery efforts continue to advance. We are on track with our Genentech cell therapy collaboration to advance both the shared and the private products. Both programs are making good progress as expected, and our joint Genentech adaptive teams are working closely together 
to assess efficacy and safety data of our lead TCR for our shared product to enable a decision by year-end to move into early development. The teams also continue to establish a product, private product specifications. Last quarter, we disclosed the extension of our drug discovery capabilities to inform the design and development of vaccines with Vaxivati. Vaxivati designed its next-generation T-cell-based COVID-19 vaccine candidate by encoding multiple spike and non-spike-specific T-cell epitopes validated by Adaptive. This T-cell-based vaccine is intended to address SARS-CoV-2 variants of concern and to be used as a potential universal booster to available vaccines. This morning, Vaxivati announced the start of its two-arm phase 1-2 trial to evaluate the safety, reactogenicity, and immunogenicity of its two vaccine candidates, an RBD-only vaccine and our T-cell-based vaccine. Both vaccine candidates will be tested in already vaccinated individuals. Look forward to seeing progress on this new and important program that aims to address variants of concern and will continue to work with Vaxibody team to share any additional information at the appropriate time. Our Vaxibody collaboration is yet another validation of our platform in drug discovery. We're excited to pursue additional opportunities to inform the design and development of next-generation T-cell-based vaccines in other diseases. I'll now pass it over to Chad Cohn for a third-quarter financial update. Thanks, Chad. Turning to our financial results on slide 7, total revenue in the third quarter was $39.5 million, representing a 50% increase from $26.3 million in the same period last year. Our revenue mix, the third quarter, consisted of 56% of our revenues coming from our sequencing category and 44% coming from our development category. Sequencing revenue in the third quarter was $22.1 million and increased 96% from the same period of 2020. Growth in sequencing revenue was driven primarily by a $5.8 million increase in revenue generated from our biopharmaceutical customers and a $5.4 million increase in revenue generated from our clinical customers. Research sequencing volume increased to 8,710 sequences, up 33% from 6,541 sequences delivered in the third quarter of 2020. Clinical sequencing volume, excluding our T-Detect COVID volume, increased 47% to 5,928 clinical tests delivered in the third quarter of 2021, up from 4,023 clinical tests delivered during the same period of 2020. Development revenue grew to $17.4 million in the third quarter, up 16% from the same period last year. The largest driver of our development revenue continues to be the amortization of our Genentech upfront. This quarter, we also recognized a $1.5 million MRD regulatory milestone from one of our pharma partners. As of the third quarter of this year, we have over $330 million in potential MRD pharma milestones available to us, representing a net increase of $20 million compared to the same period last year. Shifting now from our revenue to our operating costs, total operating expenses for the third quarter of 2021 were $95.8 million, representing a 51% increase from $63.3 million in the same quarter last year. Working down our operating expenses, cost of revenue was $14.2 million in the third quarter of 2021, compared to $6.1 million for the third quarter last year, representing a 134% increase. 
Higher cost of revenue is primarily driven by an increase in materials costs due to sample volume, an increase in labor and overhead costs, and growth in expenses related to sample collection for a T-Detect COVID product. Research and development expenses for the third quarter of 2021 were $36.1 million compared to $30.3 million in the third quarter of 2020, representing a 19% increase. The growth was largely related to an increase in personnel costs, driven mainly by innovation and new product development initiatives. Sales and marketing expenses for the third quarter of 2021 were $24.9 million compared to $14.5 million in the third quarter of 2020, representing an increase of 72%. Most of this growth was due to increased personnel costs, particularly related to teams supporting our clinical diagnostic businesses and medical affairs, as well as larger investments in our clonaseq marketing efforts. General and administrative expenses for the third quarter of 2021 were $20.2 million compared to $12.1 million in the third quarter of 2020, representing an increase of 67%. This increase was primarily driven by growth in headcount and personnel costs, as well as expanding our overall facility footprint and higher depreciation expenses. Net loss for the third quarter of 2021 was 56 million, compared to third quarter 2020 net loss of 36.7 million. Adjusted EBITDA for the third quarter of 2021 was a loss of 41.1 million, compared to a loss of 28.4 million in the same period last year. We ended the quarter with approximately $632 million in cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities, and we had no debt. With respect to our outlook, we are reiterating our guidance range for the full year of $148 to $155 million, representing 54% growth year-over-year year at the midpoint of the range. For the full year, we estimate a fairly even 50-50 split between our sequencing and development revenues, given the realization of milestones already recognized through the third quarter. I will now turn the call back over to Chad Robbins for his final remarks. Thanks, Chad. I'm proud and encouraged with our achievement year-to-date across all business areas and looking forward to the additional key milestones we expect to accomplish over the next couple of months as outlined on slide 8. The data emerging from our platform continue to support the current and future value generated from our clinical diagnostic and drug discovery opportunities. With that, I'd like to turn the call back over to the operator and open up for questions. Thank you. And as a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Taicho Peterson of J.P. Morgan. Your line is now open. Hey, good afternoon. Um, congrats on the reimbursement coverage for, for T-Detect COVID. I know that's a, a big deal. Can you maybe just think, uh, help us think about, you know, the intended use case, um, you know, the benefit of using it and how you size the market opportunity? Yeah, um, sure. Thanks, Taiko. And, yeah, this is, we're really, really excited about this. Uh, the news of, of coverage. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll I, the, the first question uh, about who is intended, who the product of T-Detect COVID in, is intended for, um, I'll, I'll, I'll take that, and then I'm going to pass it over to our new Chief Commercial Officer, uh, Nitin Sud, and, and if you could uh, handle um, the question about the, 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 the benefits and the market opportunity from there. Um, 
So to, kind of, to the first for the first question, just kind of let me outline it. Um, so Medicare issued a coverage decision for a, a certain population, the immunocompromised patients, um, who are less capable of mounting an immune response to either the natural infection of COVID and or to the vaccination. Um, but we believe, and we said this from the beginning, um, that, uh, that unfortunately this is going to be um, endemic in our population. And, and these subset of patients will they're always going to be at risk, even as the virus moves from kind of the, the, the pandemic state to an endemic state. So the risk will remain high uh, about whether or not they can amount a, a, an immune response. And if you look at kind of this, this estimated population of immunocompromised populations, it's around kind of seven. The, 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 the estimates vary, but kind of on the low end, we think it's around seven million in the United States. And this will be kind of the population that we, we believe will benefit from our T-Detect COVID test. Um, and and, and I, we, we think that this kind of T-cell testing is, you know, at it, a it, it really high level, it's going to fill a, a big gap in the current testing paradigm. So, Nitin, do you want to take, um, you know, how it will be used and, and the benefit uh, to this population? Yeah. Thanks, Chad. Um, so as you all know, you know, your body produces T-cells as part of your immune response to infections and vaccinations. And our T-detect COVID test reliably assesses the presence of T-cells or a T-cell response to COVID-19, indicating recent or prior infections. COVID vaccines also produce a T-cell response, which may result in a positive T-detect COVID test. Um, and, you know, physicians can use this, this to help uh, then manage care, um, and as like Shai talked about, particularly for immunocompromised patients, helping make uh, helping physicians make decisions related to vaccines or vaccine boosters in patients who are on immune suppressing medications, including deferring or postponing such medications, or providing uh, you know even preventative monoclonal antibody uh, treatments. Um, uh, as Chad noted earlier, you know. Part of that immunocompromised population is in the oncology space, and that is the uh, population we're going to target. We think out of those 7 million individuals, uh, 1 million are in the oncology segment, and we're going to use the uh, clonoseq sales team to target those physicians. Um, and then uh, we're going to do sort of more targeted uh, promotion to transplant centers, you know, HIV treatment centers, where we also believe there is uh, an autoimmune centers where we believe there is a uh, immune uh, compromised uh, uh, population, and simultaneously, long term, we're working on generating additional evidence to make the test semi-quantitative as well as generate correlate of protection, which we think is going to be not only beneficial to physicians and you know strengthen uh, our value proposition proposition to physicians, but also really strengthen our value proposition to uh, vaccine developers, um, and I think longer term, you know, I think it just sort of opens up a whole lot of opportunities for us. Given the success of uh, mRNA vaccines, I think there's going to be a lot of activity in vaccine development even beyond uh, COVID, and I think having a test that measures uh, quantitatively the T-cell response and produces evidence around coronavirus protection will open up a whole bunch of doors uh, uh, beyond uh, COVID as well. 
great. That, that's super helpful. Um, and maybe just sticking with the vaccine theme then, um, on Moderna, you know, you mentioned you've got the samples in-house. Uh, obviously, you're working on their second-generation COVID vaccine. How, how should we think about timelines there? Any, any updates on the development path? Sure. Harlan, do you want to take that one? Um, sure. Uh, thanks, Tycho. We're uh, evaluating the, the response to the vaccine, the cellular immune response to the vaccine, and, um, you know, we're, uh, the, the data is going to be owned by, by Moderna, so it's not going to be at, at our liberty to discuss the, the outcomes of that, but, but um, we're, we're definitely uh, wrapping up uh, soon the returning data. Okay. Um, and then on the um, enhanced, uh, you know, uh, ConalSeq uh, for CLL, how do you size the uh, IGHV opportunity? I know you talked about a 20% increase in orders early on, but how, how are you sizing, you know, the incremental opportunity there? Nit, uh, you want to that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, the benefit there is going to be that, um, you know, it's going to encourage um, physicians that order CLL to, order the ID test. You know, there is sometimes less uh, incentive for them to order the ID test. Now they're going to get actual prognostic information right at diagnosis. Um, so that's, so I think, you know, it, it encourages physicians to order the, order, um, the ID test. And really, CLL is treated a lot in the community setting and really enhances the value of ClonoSeq in the community setting. So that's how we think about this. Okay, great. And one last one for Chad Cohen before I hop off. Just on guidance, you know, $3 million beat, you're keeping guidance intact. Fourth year guidance is a, is a bit below the street. Any, anything to think about for the fourth quarter, why you might be a little bit more cautious here? Yeah, I mean, we, we tend to think about the business in semesters more than, more than quarters, and we've historically just talked about it that way, you know, front half versus back half. So third quarter, we saw a lot, a lot of really strong pharma volumes. Um, that we had really contemplated a little more in the fourth quarter. They came, came a little early. Um, we're still seeing really strong sequencing business. You know, if you look at the back half, um, you know, growth over last year is looking at about 70%, you know, given the, the numbers that we imply with our, with our guide. Uh, growing really nicely also first half over second half at about 20 or so percent. So, um, and the business really is per- performing, you know, uh, far, far better in the back half from a, from a core sort of sequencing perspective, you know, we gave the guide around sort of 50-50 split between sequencing and development. Um, you know, the first half uh, was sort of more of like a, a 40-60 split. The back half is more of like a, a 60-40, um, you know, to sort of get to those numbers. So, you know, our, our, our sequencing volumes and our sequencing revenue in the back half are, are you know, really strong um, relative to the first half. The first half also just had uh, you know, eight and a half million dollars in milestones, which makes that first half number look a little bigger from a from a development perspective. Okay, I appreciate the color. Uh, thanks. I'll let others hop in. Thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Derek De Bruin of Bank of America. Your line is now open. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Um, hey, Derek. So, I, I guess first question. Um, you know, and it's it's sort of tag teams on Tycos. Um, you know, what was sort of the impact on you know, your clinical sequencing volumes and your biopharma volumes from the spike in the Delta variant? You and a number of other companies last quarter were a bit cautious on sort of your second half views. 
um, given that. So just wondering if you could sort of like quantify what's going on or what you sort of saw with it in terms of volumes. Yeah, there was definitely a, a third quarter impact, you know, related to Delta variant on, on the clinical sequencing volume for for, for Clonoseq. And that, that was really primarily for two reasons. Um, you know, the, the first reason is because, you know, our reps had really limited access uh, to be able to get into accounts, especially when you're talking about kind of the new new accounts and, and, and new indications like CLL, which were growing. Uh, you really need kind of that in-person kind of rep access. And, and the second, also related to um, certain of our populations, which, you know, kind of over, interplays with, with, with the COVID announcement, is this population, because they're immune compromised, uh, you know, we're, we're really being, being told to, in, in cases where, you know, where, where they didn't need to come in for, for imminent treatment, just that we're, we're really kind of delaying their, delaying their in-person, you know, a hospital and, and clinician visits. Um, so that, that, the, kind of the, the combination of those two factors, um, you know, definitely, um, you know, took a hit in the third quarter. Uh, like we, you know, like the pre-prepared remarks, we are encouraged um, based on the IGHV launch in, in CLL on, on some of the, the trends that we're, we're starting to see in, in, in the fourth quarter, both related to the IGHV launch in CLL, but also um, with, with um, you know, I, I think the Delta variant not having, you know, an impact, you know, fortunately for, for a lot of reasons, um, you know, we're, we're starting to see, uh, we're starting to see some really positive signs. So I know it's a little, I know it's early to start thinking about next year, but I have to ask. You know, when you began this year, you talked about doubling your total clinical test volumes, and obviously with the uncertainty with Delta, that, you know, understandably doesn't happen. But how – do you have any initial thoughts on how you sort of think about clinical volumes trending for 2023? Well, uh, we're, we're not we're – not, you mean for 2022? I'm sorry, 2022. Duh. Sorry, I'm already, <laughs> I'm already a year past. <laughs> um, yeah, look, look, I'm on the beat. There you go. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> look, Derek. I mean, we're 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 bullish on this business, and we're encouraging. We're encouraged by the trends that we're seeing. Um, you know, and like like you said, although there was an impact from the Delta variant, um, our, our our overall thesis in uh, in the in the seek business is. Is, is incredibly positive. We're, uh, we're not yet at the point where we're prepared to release guidance for 2022 yet, um, but we certainly think it's going to be a strong, uh, we certainly expect to have strong growth in, in, in 2022. And, and I, I would say, you know, again, um, you, you know, we, we, we look at the interplay in that business of the clinical sequencing volume plus uh, the MRD Pharma opportunity overall makes up the Clonoseq brand, and overall that business has been uh, you know, growing, uh, growing quite nicely, and we expect it to uh, we expect it to grow and get get out, get on a nice growth trajectory in 2022. Um, great, thank you very much. Sure. Our next question comes from the line of Brian Weinstein of William Blair. Your line is now open. Hey guys, good afternoon. Thanks for taking the question. Um, I was hoping you could maybe help us understand a little bit more on the news from Vaxabody today, you know, the importance that it has for adaptive at a high level uh, relative to kind of the technology. And then can you just remind us practically what it means to the company and the potential financial opportunity if, if uh, all of this were to play out positively? 
Um, yeah, sure. Um, hi, Brian. Uh, thanks. Thanks for the question. Um, well, first, let me. Look, I, I want to put this in, in, in into context. I understand that kind of Baxter Body isn't isn't you know a, a household name like uh, Moderna and J and J, but this is really important uh, for adaptive because this, we we do view this as uh, a, a kind of a, a true extension of a platform into another area of drug discovery. And what I mean by that is, yeah, you've heard about kind of Moderna and J&J deals where we work um, really as, as from, a, from essentially looking at the immune response uh, to, to their vaccines and being able to, as Harlan said, kind of hand over that data to really help them understand, you know, how their vaccines are working. This is different in, in that we're actually um, using our platform to inform the design and development of the vaccines. You kind of more specifically in kind of from a scientific standpoint, you know, pieces of the virus or the viral proteome called uh, T-cell receptor epitopes, that we, we can essentially, uh, by looking at the T-cell response to those pieces of the virus, we can determine which pieces go into the vaccine construct to specifically elicit a broad and diverse uh, T-cell immune response. And this is this is this is a new type of vaccine, a, a T cell based vaccine, of which our technology is perfectly kind of suited to be able to inform that design and development. So we think it's important for uh, for, for 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 two reasons. Uh, one is we can potentially extend this. This proof of concept would allow us to extend to you know other disease areas if we can show that show that this is the right way to design and develop T cell based vaccines and potentially with other with other larger players uh, and, and or back to the body. Um, but then then, then secondly, um, there, there, there's a potential um, based on uh, their delivery mechanism. They have a DNA based vaccine, which doesn't have, you know, cold chain storage requirements. So there's a there's 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 a there, there's an opportunity here, and we'll we'll have some royalties on the vaccine. Um, that if this vaccine could be delivered as 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 as, as another option uh, of a booster uh, to certain parts of the world where you would benefit from you know you know not not requiring or not having accessibility to cold chain cold chain storage requirements. That's really where we kind of see see the potential opportunity. But first and foremost, Brian, we're really looking at this, hey, does this work? Can we use our platform to design a vaccine? And then and then this really opens up, uh, we believe, a lot of opportunities for us. Great. And, and then Har, for, for you, Harlan, just, just your thoughts in general on current vaccine effectiveness. We listened to um, the webinar that you did back in, I think it was October, and, you know, you've been – uh, you know, a little bit concerned about durability there and just the need for a T-cell-based approach, um, kind of like, you know, what uh, Chad was just talking about with Vaxabody and, and how you guys are playing there. But just, just general, your thoughts on, um, you know, what, what you are seeing on current vaccine effectiveness and, and the need for a T-cell-based approach in general. Yeah, so um, certainly certainly we should be uh, i think very pleased with the the efficacy of these of 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 the vaccines i mean we're we're seeing at 6 8 months out that the 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 response is 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 staying quite strong it's certainly in the cellular response um but it is it does start to wane after that we can see it depending on the vaccine start dropping at 6 months or start dropping at 8 months so you know which is really in Corresponding to, to other measures, the efficacy measures that show that the 
rate of breakthrough infection starts going up at that point in time. So, so I think the, the booster regimen that, that's being suggested is, is, is right on schedule, and, and hopefully we can broaden that because I think you know, having that in a, in a wider population would be, um, in my opinion, a very good thing. And, um, you know, the uh, side effects seem to be staying, staying uh, quite manageable. So um, you know, I think we're moving in a good direction, and I'm excited for the next generation of vaccines coming out too. So it's been a big win for our. Yeah, okay. Um, thank you for that. And then one more for me. Just you've talked about Moldiax kind of looking at um, uh, tech here. Anything on private payers? Have you guys uh, been reaching out to them? And uh, any thoughts on, on likelihood of? Of gaining coverage in, in some of the larger private payers there for the same uh, for the same population. Thanks, guys. Sure. And then you want to comment on private payers? Yeah. So um, you know the current COVID testing guidelines provide for commercial payer coverage of FDA EUA COVID tests within the context of the public health emergency, and our TDNet COVID test falls within this category. So. Um, you know, we'll be working with it, with private payers over the next uh, you know several weeks to outline the operational process uh, for uh, for making coverage online. Thanks, sir. Thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Dan Brennan of Cohen. Your line is now open. Great, thank you. Hey, Chad, uh, Chad, uh, nice to be on the call. Um, so I want to see, first question is just on Clonaseq, um, just maybe stepping back. I know Derek asked the question. I'm just wondering, can, can you just provide an update on the commercial investments that you made to kind of drive growth? Obviously, Delta could be having a kind of temporal impact right now. But just give us an update on you know, people that have been put in place, what you've seen thus far. Um, and if we look out, you know, towards 22 and beyond, just, you know, what, what, are, what, are, what are the key kind of milestones in terms of, um, you know, regulatory approvals, new enhancements that could be important towards, uh, you know, driving growth in the franchise. Yeah, so uh, you know, first off, uh, welcome to the call, Dan. A pleasure to have you covering us. Um, you know, we're, we're making kind of significant investments in, in ClonoSeq uh, in, in kind of preparing for 2022, in particular kind of increasing uh, the, the amount of reps, um, you know, on, on the ground, both in terms of our key account managers and a dedicated hematology specialist, you know, based on there's some early signs that we've seen in, in the IGHV kind of launch. Um, but we, we, we also believe that kind of training this cohort as a class together uh, will have a kind of significant, uh, you know, benefits as we, as, we, as, we look, as we look to scale the business. Um, with that, I'll turn it over to Nitin to make more more uh, specific remarks. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, uh, you know, as we've spoken before, we are pretty uh, positive on our Clonoseq business. You know, we're the best in class sensitivity. We have FDA approval. We have widespread uh, payer coverage. In fact, you know, this quarter alone, we increased uh, coverage for CLL by fifteen percent. Um, you know, we see other positive trends. Uh, you know. There was an MRD white paper that was published in July that supported the use of MRD both as a regulatory endpoint and in clinical practice. Authors included many top KOLs, uh, Nicole Gormley of the FDA. You know, we saw a German uh, cost impact analysis uh, study published in September uh, that there is a favorable, you know, 75,000 euro favorable economic impact with the use of clonoseq directed therapy. 
So I think we see all positive trends as a result. We're investing in the channel. We're strengthening how we uh, market the product. Uh, we're improving and investing in improving customer experience. So repeat ordering is, uh, is seamless. Uh, and then longer term, you know, we think we'll get some positive feedback from the FDA on ALL and blood. We have three major studies going on in multiple myeloma. Uh, we received some positive feedback uh, for the AV studies we have ongoing for NHL, uh, for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, so overall, I think we see all kinds of positive trends, and we continue to invest in the business uh, uh, broadly. Great. Thank you for that. And then, and then just on MRV, obviously sizable uh, milestone opportunity to be recognized there. In terms of thinking about the events that will play out to start to realize more significant fortune, is that, is, that, is that more so like 23, 24, or could 22, um, just given the timelines for, you know, these development programs, just wondering how we should think about kind of, you know, when, when, when a bigger part of that starts to become uh, realistic? Yeah, um, this is hey, – hey, Dan, Chad, Chad Cohen, how are you doing? Good to, good to hear from you on the call. Um, it, as we mentioned, we have over $330 million of milestones available to us, and that's been growing really nicely even as we've been taking these down. Uh, it's hard to really uh, sort of bookend the, the, the time frame with respect to uh, our participation in them, but they'll happen over the next few years. I think just to characterize the, the milestones, they, they represent – you know, probably on the order of a dozen or more different deals with even more compounds and, and projects within those deals. And, you know, two, I'd say, you know, two-thirds of the economics in those milestones relate to, to primary endpoints, which is a much bigger sort of pool of endpoints that we hope to participate in some someday. What we've really been participating in so far are the secondary endpoint milestones, uh, which, you know, continue to grow and for which we've uh, recognized about $10 million this year. So really feel uh, it's, it's becoming more of a structural component of our, our P&L than it even has in, in the past, and they continue and we continue to grow the, the, the available pool of milestones and hope to do more deals, especially as we get into other indications like NHL. Awesome. Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Our next question comes from the line of Mark Massaro of VTIG. Your line is now open. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking the questions, and congrats on the attractive reimbursement for T-Detect COVID. I guess, um, how should we think about uh, – I, I know that this question has been asked, but, but there's about a million uh, cancer patients that would be eligible. You know, 1% of that market is about $8 million in revenue. So just, we're, I guess, uh, we're trying to get a sense for, you know, how quickly do you think you can get, you know, 5% of that opportunity? Is it two years? Is it one year? Um, and I think it would be helpful from a, from a modeling perspective. It, yeah, let, me, let me make a couple comments, and, and, and again, Nitin, feel free to, to, to add on. Um, you know, the, first off, I, I want to make, the, in order to operationalize uh, this, it, it's going to be, you know, we've, we've probably 60 to 90 days. There's a lot of things that we need to do to put in place to be able to um, to, to be able to offer this to uh, HCPs through a reimbursed channel, including going out and the um, question earlier on, 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 on private payer reimbursement, we need um, a, a, a specific um, code from the AMA to be able to, 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 to ensure coverage by the, the, the private payers. Um, but that being said, 
the, our, our target is the a million uh, where in terms of a direct uh, uh, coverage um, is the a million immunocompromised patients that uh, we we have access to, uh, and then secondly, there's another call it you know seven six to seven million patients who are immune compromised that will be doing uh, non-direct promotional activities too as well. Um, but it, I think it's fair to say, look, this is this is not only a new product launch, but this is a new product category. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, we're extremely uh, in, encouraged and bullish, um, but in terms of kind of how quickly we can get to 5%, and the, the, the good news is, uh, you know, I think they're, the, 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 the world has been, uh, you know, helping and talking about the adaptive immune response to the virus, so that bodes in, in, our, in our favor. So some of that kind of marketing effort is done, but in terms of the specific use case, which was asked earlier, exactly how and when you use it, uh, what, what um, therapeutic regimens or lifestyle choices uh, will a, a patient, will, will, will a doctor provide to, to assist in, in, in the management of patients, you know, this all has to be worked into uh, the 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 um, you know the, the current patient um, you know, paradigm of care. Uh, so you know we're we're, we're going to go as quickly as possible to, to 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 capture as much of the market as possible, and we're working through that right now. Nick, you want to add on to this? I mean, I just want to re- reemphasize the fact that you know uh, we do have a sales channel exactly into those one million patients, um, but it is going to be an effort on our part to you know, educate that physician population about the adaptive immune uh, immune uh, system. So I think we're, you know, going full steam ahead to make this available, and we're going to keep an eye out on it. And I think we're going to include, you know, uh, you know, updates for you for you all uh, when we provide guidance next year. And, and obviously we're, pri- we're bullish about it because we're prioritizing it, yeah. you know, and that was catalyzed based on the fact that, you know, we've, we, we were able to get the coverage that we did. Uh, you know, allows us to step on the gas and, and go in and pursue this opportunity because we think it's real. That's great. Um, so you, you did acknowledge you were impacted by the Delta variants in Q3. Uh, you know, you made some positive commentary about volumes here in Q4. Uh, you know, you grew eight eight percent sequentially for clinical clonoseq volumes in 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 Q3. Uh, do you think it's reasonable based on the positive commentary for Delta so far, uh, one one third of the way through Q4, that that you can kind of have a almost a similar performance on on the clinical side for Clonoseq in Q4? Yes, we we we, we, yep. we certainly anticipate you know, having 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 sequential growth in the fourth quarter. Okay, that, that's helpful. And then just my last question. Um, how should we think about the opportunity for Lyme disease as it relates to reimbursement? Um, you know, certainly I wouldn't expect, you know, seven or $800 a test, but uh, and any thoughts you have there and uh, an update you have as it relates to discussions with, with any payers? Yeah, I mean, I can speak to that. I think, uh, as we've said in prepared remarks, you know, we're going to be launching uh, the Lyme test closer to the Lyme season. We've, uh, you know, reprioritized and refocused ourselves on, uh, to detect COVID, and uh, you know, at this point in time, you know, we're engaging with payers and having conversations, uh, and we'll provide you an update uh, as, as you know, uh, real information is available to us. But that is a focus for us to figure out the reimbursement for Lyme. Yeah. Great. That's it for me. Thank you.
Our next question comes from the line of Salvin Ritter of Goldman Sachs. Your line is now open. Hey, good evening. This is Elizabeth on for Salvin. Thank you for taking our questions. Just wanted to ask about, you know, the enhanced version of Clonoseq for CLL patients. Um, are there any other enhancements for Clonoseq that you're considering or, you know, would potentially consider for other indications? Yes, um, so I, I think we're not prepared to disclose anything right now, but certainly NHL, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, is an area that's going to be a lot of focus for us, uh, you know, uh, you know, enhancing our capability in blood-based multiple myeloma test is going to be a focus for us. And then we're also, you know, potentially considering, you know, um, adding an IGHV-like test uh, in other indications. Thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Teha Savant of Morgan Stanley. Your line is now open. Hi, this is Yuko on for Tejas. Thank you for taking our questions. Um, now, having gone through the reimbursement process for T-Detect COVID, what are, could you share some of the learnings from that process, and how are you thinking about positioning reimbursement pricing discussion as you roll out additional in indications for T-Detect? Uh, hey, hey, Yuko. Uh, Thanks, thanks for the question. Um, so I think the, the, the first thing to keep in context is that because we uh, got an EUA uh, from the FDA, it gave us the opportunity to expedite reimbursement discussions with, uh, with Moldex. And, and what, what essentially that means is there's a, there's a significant amount of education that has to go in uh, to be able to really Really, uh, to understand exactly what this is, because this is a a new way to diagnose disease using using T cells, um, we we were able to go in and really uh, really outline the case. Um, and so now you've got a baseline set um, at 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 the, at the Moldex program, and, and and frankly, we were able to do some of this uh, at CMS National. Um, now, as we look to Kind of future indications. We do believe there's an opportunity to um, price a test based on the value that that test provides uh, to to patients and the healthcare system. Um, don't get me wrong; we're pretty encouraged by the price point we were able to kind of receive receive from Moldex. But we think that in certain you know high high unmet medical needs, in particular in the autoimmune category. Um, there, there, there should be, you know, potential to really price a test based on uh, the, the, the true value it provides to the to, to the system and to, and, to, and to patients. Um, so I don't know if that totally answers your question, but those are those are some thoughts we have around kind of you know, uh, reimbursement, um, what we went through with COVID, and how it impacts our thinking um, in terms of kind of the longer term thinking for the for the franchise. Yeah, that was super helpful. Thank you. Um, and then also, you mentioned you, you saw the impact from Delta variant this quarter. Uh, have you seen improved physician office access towards end of the quarter and into October? And then you previously mentioned that COVID-19 may disproportionately affect the community channel. Did you see that also playing out this quarter? 
Yeah, we did. I mean, the reality is is that we're still have restricted uh, access to you know both both the community oncology setting and and the academic medical centers. And this it really hasn't you know, opened opened up yet to the extent that we want. So we were able to achieve the growth we did, kind of despite having you know that, that some of those headwinds you know out in front of us. We're seeing you know on a regional basis uh, you're seeing some of that, but you know our reps are. You know, being being creative and trying to meet where we're allowed to, even outside the hospital, you know, settings at coffee shops and parks, and doing everything that they can uh, to be able to educate the clinical community. Thank you. Sure. Our next question comes from the line of David Westenberg of Guggenheim Securities. Your line is now open. Hi, um, thank you for taking the question. Um, so question number one is, uh, you know, we've seen for, for kind of a number of years researchers doing immune, immune mapping using single cell approaches. And, you know, I think there was just a company, a private company recently that raised uh, a pretty big round on using single cell approach in order to map the immune system. So I just wanted to um, ask, just in terms of, of your approach differing from others that are using that other kind of approach. Yeah, um, so there, people mean a lot of different things by, by mapping the immune system. Um, you know, I think what you're referring to was a company that has a, a, a an approach to look at a, a, a whole bunch of different parameters to get to get some um, uh, kind of more global picture of what they think is uh, going on in the in the uh, uh, immune response, we're, we're um, I would say, in, in some ways more focused and uh, focused specifically on the um, immune receptors, which is the immune system's way of specifically identifying disease. So it's not, it, it, it's sort of a, a different approach and probably has very different sets of applications. The, um, for the diagnostic approach, I, I don't think, I don't, think that um, there, those other approaches are really playing in that space. So I think we're the only ones, I would guess, really working on, I shouldn't say that, but, but likely the only ones working on in, on the diagnostic space. But on the target discovery space, you know, we're, we're more focused on, on antigenic targets um, as well as the T-cell receptors used for therapeutic use against those targets, uh, which is very different than, than maybe looking for uh, more general immune-based targets that some of these other companies might be using. Um, you know, that they're very early on. We don't have a, a ton of data on, on what the, they're exactly doing, but but certainly, um, you know, the immune system is, is uh, as we know, quite large and, and is affecting every aspect of medicine right now, including the, you know, primary direction people are going for, for cancer therapies, in addition to obviously working in the, the vaccine space and autoimmune. So, uh, I think there's we'll see more and more different directions. The, the 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 confusion of using the same term to mean different things, mapping of the immune system. Uh, hopefully, we can clarify what we mean by that anyway, so that it's not such a confusion. No, no, I appreciate it. It's just a question we just got a couple days ago. So, um, anyway, um, no. Secondly, in terms of, of key to tech COVID, are there any other infectious diseases that might have utility in terms of a finding T cell versus B cell immunity, differentiating natural versus uh, vaccine immunity, and kind of measuring uh, um, 
uh, immune response length, uh, a period of time. I'm just trying to contemplate futures applications for T-Detect uh, th- that you've discovered today that might be applicable to other infectious diseases that we maybe haven't thought about in the future, and I'll, I'll stop there after that. Yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a great question, and, and the, the biggest appreciation in, in learning was, was uh, I think, the community at large, even the scientific community, the, the immunologists and virologists, I don't think everybody really um, appreciated the, the role that the, the, the cellular immune system was playing in, in, in protection, um, whereas, and uh, in, in part of this is probably just historical, that we've had the ability to measure a, an antibody response and even a neutralizing antibody response for, for, you know, 50 years, and we didn't really have a way of measuring the T-cell response at scale. Um, but now that we do, and also now that we're in this situation where, where we're seeing uh, these new variants from COVID that, that are um, really avoiding the, the neutralizing antibody response from the vaccines at, at high levels, we're seeing the importance of the T-cell response to really uh, give us the, the protection that we need to prevent severe disease. And so because of that, there's been an uptake and in interest in looking at the, the T-cell response. And, you know, what's on us, we have to, we have to prove that, that, that the T-cell response really correlates with protection. If we can show that directly, then, then we, we really have the tool that people can use going forward in a whole variety of different um, vaccine efforts and different diseases to, to, to help, help them develop the right vaccine, but also prove that their vaccine's working and, and provide the, the, the information that the, the regulatory bodies need as well. So we're, we're pretty excited about, about the, this evolution of this field. We're obviously a little frustrated. It was slower than we, we had hoped that for people to start appreciating T cells, but, but it is happening and there's going to be, I don't know, the T cell revolution is coming. Appreciate it. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time, and that concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you. Thank you, presenters.